Hello and welcome to the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt. Today we got some all-star game conversations going for you. MLB news, we got training camp starting soon. And then we have our predictions for the top 20 NFL free agents according to um, NFL mock drafts on Instagram. Uh, we're going to start off with some NBA stuff. We're going to talk about kind of just some really notable moments from all-star games in the past. And we're going to start out with a big one. We're going to start out with a 2016 All-Star Game. Anybody that watched this, it's just cemented in your mind. Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine going at it for the finals. Nate, what do you remember from this dunk contest? All right. Not like I don't want to sound generic or I don't want to I don't want to be that guy who just has the most basic answer. But I feel like anytime you talk about the 2016 dunk contest, you have to first bring up Aaron Gordon dunking over the mascot. He sits on air. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there is enough adjectives to, like, describe how cool that was watching. Like, that entire dunk contest, crazy. Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, you could argue maybe the two best dunkers of all time. They're insane. But when Aaron Gordon sat on air, that was just different, man. And I think there's a lot of talk about Aaron Gordon getting snubbed in that dunk contest, which I've never been the biggest. Um, I've never been the biggest fan of. I think that I think both Levine and Gordon were insane. Um, and I and I think that had Gordon not had. Had, had the sitting on air dunk not happened, I think there would be kind of less that discourse because I think a lot of people think back to that dunk contest and remember that dunk and think there's no way this guy could have lost. Even though Zach Levine was putting on a clinic in his own right, like dude is on another level. Maybe, yeah, or at least was. To me, I feel like the gripe a lot of people have with that dunk contest is that a lot of people feel that Aaron Gordon had the best dunks. When you look back at it, most people remember the Aaron Gordon dunks as opposed to the Zach Levine dunks. Zach Levine, I feel like, was prepared for this finals, for them to just keep going extra round after extra round. So he had more and more stuff in his bag. If you remember, the dunk that Aaron Gordon finished with was just not that impressive. So it made sense that he didn't get a 50 for it. But I think a lot of people are just like, somehow, someway, they should have made it so Aaron Gordon won that because he, he to me, had the better dunk contest. Zach Levine was just better consistently getting those 50s. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of knew how to work the judges. And I don't know. I think that's, I think that's a lot of people's gripes with that dunk contest, personally. Yeah, I can see that. I think, I think a big part of it is Aaron Gordon's dunks, maybe from a technical level, looked a lot cooler and flashier but Zach Levine just flies dude like you see Zach Levine go up and it feels like he is never going to come down the athleticism because I feel I do feel the same way I feel like when I think of that dunk contest I think of Aaron Gordon's dunks before Levine's dunks but then I go back and look at Levine's dunks and I'm like oh my god like how many guys in, in NBA history can do can do this period Maybe, maybe none. Maybe Diallo. You could argue that Diallo jumping over Shaq, more impressive. But I don't know the, like, oh man, that just, the athleticism is insane. 
Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> the dunk where he's in midair, puts the ball under his legs. I don't know that anybody in NBA history could do that dunk. I really don't. I feel like if somebody could, it would have either had been done before that or been done after. And a lot of people forget the freaking mascot was moving in a circle. So, I don't know. Aaron Gordon definitely me had the more impressive dunk contest, but Levine knew what he was doing, and I don't want to take. I don't want to discredit him in any way, shape, or form. Those feats of athleticism were absolutely bonkers. So we're going to transition into maybe the first dunk contest that was. It, to me, it set up what the NBA was like, where it was heading, where most of the players in the league just had a. Just absurd athleticism. Most of the guys now are just able to throw it down. Like in the 90s, that wasn't necessarily the reality. There was a couple dunkers on each team maybe. But like now, I would say 12 out of the 15 guys on the roster can probably do a windmill. It just it, it is what it is now. And I think Vince Carter was the one that set that up because he inspired so many of the people in today's game. Like, you got to get that bounce. You got to get that bounce. You want to have that flash. You want to be Vince Carter. It was not a close dunk contest at all. Vince Carter was essentially just putting on a show for everybody. Yeah, it the the impact of that dunk contest can absolutely not be overstated at all. There wasn't even a dunk contest in 1999. Granted, it was because of the lockout. So it probably still would have happened had there not been a lockout. But there wasn't a dunk contest. And then the, I mean, and even the years before that, the dunk contest was just, the, the, the popularity had waned a lot. Jordan, not Jordan, wasn't there. Dominique, like the guys who kind of become the icons of the dunk contest and made it cool just weren't there anymore, not doing what they do. And the dunk contest was in a bad spot. And then Vince Carter just pu- puts on the kind of show that, Literally nobody had ever seen the similar, like kind of similar to that Aaron Gordon, like under the legs dunk that just like that is the the image of that dunk contest seared into people's minds. Vince Carter with his elbow in the rim, one of the most iconic shots in sports history. It is so cool. Like I was born. Oh, dunk. I was born after this dunk contest happened, and I still thought Vince Carter was the coolest dude in the entire world. Eight foot hoop, you know I'm breaking out the elbow dunk. Like that was that was my, that was like that was my signature move on the eight foot hoop. Throw the elbow in. That's crazy. Like I don't even know what to say. Like Vince said it best. It's over. Like there was it was insane. Yeah, I, I really don't know that anybody could have been in the arena that day and beat Vince. Well, the show he put on was amazing. And no offense to some of the older dunk contests, but you can go back and kind of be slightly underwhelmed. I mean, we're go, we, you got to go back 20 years now to go watch that dunk contest, and your eyes are just glued to the TV. It is just as impressive as any dunk contest would be now. So speaking of throwing it way back, we're going to switch it up from the dunk contest to the three-point contest. And there's just one story I want to touch on before we get into the current All-Star game. Larry Joe Bird, in a three-point contest, walked into the locker room 
said, who's getting second place? And then in a warm-up jacket, went out and won the three-point contest. Larry Bird, that is just, that is a legend. That is a legend. Yeah, there's only there's only one man in NBA history outside of the Birdman that I think could have done that. And it's the boy Davi Bertans. Because you, you you don't count Davi Bertans out. Like if he wanted to win the dunk contest or the if he wanted to win the three point contest with a warm up jacket on, he could. I, I just want to throw that out. Like just want to get some Davi Bertans love. So incredible, incredible three point shooter. Okay, so now on to the current All-Star game. So everybody already knows the starters for the most part. Don't really need to get into that too much. What I do want to get into is maybe maybe people have some gripes with what's going on. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the two big uh, glaring omissions to some people when the rosters first came out um, were DeMontis Sabonis in the East, and then Devin Booker in the wet, especially Devin Booker. I mean, LeBron James came out and said Devin Booker was snubbed. There, the backlash was absolutely insane. Both guys are in now because of injuries. Booker in because of because of Anthony Davis. Sabonis because of Kevin Durant. But like, I want to get your takes on, do you think that they did deserve to make that first cut? Um, and if not, or if so, why? So I definitely would not go as far to, as to say, I don't think they didn't deserve it. But I also think to say that either of them got snubbed is kind of an overstatement. When you look at the Devin Booker situation and the DeMontis Sabonis situation, you have to think, who are they supposed to replace? I think a lot of people aren't really taking this into consideration. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a lot of opinions on who they were supposed to replace. Apparently, they were just they're supposed to make another spot for him, like they did for Dirk and D Wade. Um, okay, so on to Devin Booker. The main one I have seen so far is Zion, which, I mean, I really don't know how you're supposed to discredit what Zion's doing this season. Put up twenty four six three on sixty percent shooting. Keep in mind he's a forward. Thirty six percent from three which is an improvement from last year, and he's probably going to keep just getting better. He dunks the ball more than anybody has since the Shaq era. Nobody is able to dunk it more than Zion. He gets to exactly where he wants to get every game, and to me, the Pelicans being where they're at right now is absolutely not on Zion at all. He's doing it on the offensive end. He's doing it on the defensive end. He gives 110% every single possession. I don't know how you're supposed to take anything away from Zion. Chris Paul. To me, Chris Paul is a much better defender than Devin Booker is. I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. <laughs> and they weren't. The, the Suns were terrible last year. The Suns they, they were they were horrible. They were one of the lowest seeds. Chris Paul gets there. Now they're the fourth seed in the West. They needed. The, he's the leader of the team. Devin Booker's a great player. Chris Paul's a leader of the team, and to me, he deserved to be in the All Star game. Because they're the four seed to me because of him. He, he got everybody together and he's got everybody playing the roles. And then I, I don't really know how, I don't really know what the argument is for subbing Paul George out. I, I don't, I don't really know what that argument is. Like the Clippers are doing, doing great. Um, Paul George got so much hate in the offseason and for him to rebound the way he has, I, I don't really know what the argument is. So 
I, I don't understand why people don't want Devin Booker, why people think that Devin Booker got snubbed. It, I get that Devin Booker is talented enough to be in an all-star game, absolutely, but you've got to think, who is he supposed to replace? Exactly. I think I think a big part of it is people really like Devin Booker. Like, just as a, as a dude. He seems like a cool dude. And I think people... I don't, I don't know about over if overrating that is the word to say, but... Players who are popular are all like, there's always going to be people saying that, especially when you're as good as Devin Booker. Like, it, it, it literally would not matter who was in the All Star game or how much better those people were doing than Devin Booker. Because Devin Booker is playing at an All Star level and people like him, there will always be people who want him in. Yeah, I, I think the big thing with Devin Booker is there's not a lot of players in the league today that really have that killer mentality. And he does. So I think a lot of people are drawn to that and love that. And even me, myself, like, I am a huge Devin Booker fan. I'm not trying to take anything away from Devin Booker. Had he made it over one of those three guys, like, I wouldn't be saying they got snubbed. It's just the way it worked out and to try to discredit the other guys and say Devin Booker got snubbed, I feel like it's disrespectful. So on to Sabonis. Now, (laughs) it might be kind of a hot take, but to me, Vooch and Julius Randle are the two that you would sub out for him. And I, I don't know how that you're just supposed to say Sabonis is much better than these guys. The the big thing for me with both of these guys is they're big men that can shoot the three ball. Julius Randle is a superior defender to Sabonis. And Julius Randle, he's also out. I mean, he's averaging six assists right now. 24, 11, and six. He is the best player on the Knicks. As the playoffs started today, the Knicks would be in the playoffs. When was the last time that happened? I don't even know when they were top eight seed recently. They're always at the bottom of the barrel. And Julius Randle is the best player on a eh, next roster, and they would be in the playoffs. I get the East is not that great right now, but to me, you're the best player on a team that's in the playoffs. And you have a, they have a better record than the Pacers. The Pacers are clearly a more talented roster. So to me, I don't really understand the argument for Sabonis over him. The one I can understand a little bit is Vooch, but... I mean, Vooch is also shooting 40% from three. He's averaging 24, 12, and four. They have two less wins than the Pacers. And that Magic team, like, can, can you name, could you just name five players off the top of your head that play for the Magic right now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to try. Let's see. So, not counting Vooch, um, I think that... Markel Fultz is on the Magic, right? Yeah, but he's out for the season. Oh well, uh, <laughs> this shows you. This shows you my uh, my NBA expertise. Yeah, honestly, beyond that, I don't. Mario Pizzoni is not there anymore, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm tapping out on this. Like they're just they're not. I mean, I could I could I could probably get five players out, but it's just they're not. They're the Magic roster is not very good. The Pacers, you can make the argument that they're they should, they're a top five roster in the East. And they are underachieving right now. And if Sabonis is supposed to be the best player, he's supposed to be the one bringing them up. You know, I that is at least the way I look at it. Sabonis is just not that great of a defender. And I feel like it's hurting the Pacers because they can't stop anybody from scoring points. And when you're the big man in the middle, you're supposed to be a rim protector, and he's not able to do that for them. So, I don't know. To say they got snubbed, I feel like it's kind of ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. I think we need. I think we need to stop with this snub talk, unless you have some really, really good argument for these players over a player that they're supposed to sub in for. 
Yeah, no, it's it's one of those where I would maybe I would maybe make the case for Sabonis over Randall, but I don't feel strongly about it one way or another. I think they are very comparable overall. Um, and yeah, like kind of like you said earlier, had had uh, Sabonis made it over Randall, I wouldn't be saying oh, so, but like Randall was snub, Sabonis shouldn't be in. Like it would, I'd be in the same situation here. Where I'm like, yeah, you know what? Randall probably could have made it in, but Sabonis absolutely deserves it. 100%. So we're going to conclude the NBA segment there. Do you have any like finishing thoughts at all? I do have some finishing thoughts. I would like to throw out that I do know that Mo Bamba exists, and I think Aaron Gordon is still on the Magic. Uh, the, the two, probably the two players on the Magic that I should have been able to remember, besides Vooch, I do remember them, so I'm not completely NBA illiterate. That's all I want. That's all I want to throw out. All right, before we end the segment, shout out Terrence Ross. All right, so on to the second segment. We're going to get into some recent MLB news. Now, I want to open up the segment with the Tatis extension that was worth 14 years, $340 million. These extensions in baseball are still absolutely jaw-dropping, and I don't know how the organization commits to paying a player for 14 seasons. Well, this was a well-deserved contract. I want to hear your opinion on how this affects the Padres club moving forward, as it is the third biggest contract in baseball history behind Trout and Mookie Betts. Absolutely. Um, and I think a big thing with, uh, with these long contracts is I will absolutely say that by the end of this contract, I would be willing to put some money on the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. at 35 will probably not be a $36 million man. However, I do think that the surplus value he is going to add in the early years is going to more than cover that. I think he is absolutely worth this contract. I will say it's a a little insane to see this kind of money given to a guy who has played 143 career games. Not not even a full season, really. I mean, you can argue 630 plate appearances is about a full season. And he has been incredible so far. A 154 OPS plus is very, very elite. It's like, it's not quite Trout, but I mean, he's 21. He's going to be 22 this year. And he is already one of the best offensive players in baseball. Plays fantastic defense at a premium position. And I think the coolest part with Tatis too is... He's not just a guy who came in and was amazing, which he, which in all fairness, he did come in and was amazing. But we saw, we saw noticeable gains in 2020, especially with the defense. One of the big arguments against Tatis his rookie, or one of the big knocks against him his rookie year, and one of the, and the reason the Padres originally cited for kind of leaving him in the minors to start um, was his defense. He was not a great defender at shortstop. I like it was rough to watch sometimes. He the the improvement he showed in 2020 was absolutely incredible and really took him from like sort of a, I don't want I don't really want to say a one-dimensional player um because it's not really fair in, in baseball. Like he's good at a lot of things. Um but really just put him in that elite of the elite conversation. He is absolutely the best shortstop in baseball. You can argue for some other guys. I wouldn't argue for them. I, for, I mean, for a very long time, I have been, I have ridden the, uh, the Francisco Lindor train. 
um, Andrelton Simmons. There's a lot of really good shortstops in baseball right now. Like, it's actually kind of crazy that I think I remember reading super, super deep cut here. I think I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article in something like 2012, maybe 2012, 2014 kind of thing about um, how the shortstop position was kind of starting to stagnate a bit. But we had these really dope dudes in the minors who were going to be super exciting. And while some of them haven't aged well, Addison Russell was one of the guys that they were super excited about at the time, which, yeesh, um, like Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, the, the amount of talent in shortstop position is insane, and it says a lot that, that Fernando Tatis Jr., in so little time, has so firmly established himself at the top of that hierarchy. And I think... This deal will absolutely help the pod. Just making sure that Fernando Tatis Jr. doesn't go anywhere will absolutely help keep the Padres as a contender for a very, very long time. So do you think the Padres are going to be able to compete with the Dodgers for the top? I do. I think they will be able to compete with the Dodgers. I, I don't think they are as good as the Dodgers, but it's baseball and anything can happen. So... In, yeah, in a sport with as much randomness as baseball has, I do think the Padres. I think the Padres will be able to make make a handful of World Series uh, World Series appearances with this core. Like all it takes, like even if even one Dodgers are aging a bit, a, a heavy emphasis on a bit. Clayton Kershaw is still is still shoving even at thirty two. Justin Turner. Is Justin Turner's getting along in age, but the Dodgers don't need Justin Turner. Like they could, they the Dodgers would have been fine had they not brought him back. They're going to be fine with him being being there. But yeah, I I think the Dodgers in the end will probably end up making more World Series appearance more World Series appearances than the Padres because I do think the cores that they have right now. I think the the like heavy air quotes because I don't want to jinx anything, but the Dodgers and Padres dynasties I think are going to kind of run side by side and probably taper out about the same time as each other. And I would say if I assuming that those teams make all of the World Series appearances in the span of their dynasties, which I don't think they will, some other team is going to come out of nowhere. God knows who it's going to be. It's probably going to be the, the Giants again. 2000, 2022 Giants are going to the World Series. You heard it here first. Um, even near Magic, baby. But um, I would say I'd give the Dodgers like a 60-40 split on those on those World Series, I guess. But I, I do think they can compete. Yeah, from uh, from what from what I've seen, that even near Magic has died out recently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so on the next one, I personally am very excited for this one because Vlad Jr. Lost 42 pounds this offseason. I got him at a very, very good value in our fantasy baseball draft. And it's looking like that was a better pick than even anybody thought it was at the time. Do you think that because he's taken these steps to be in the best shape of his life, that potentially within the next few years we're going to be talking about, talking about Vlad Jr. as one of the best players in baseball? I think it is certainly, certainly possible. He has all the talent in the world. One of the big issues just has been his conditioning. And while that hasn't necessarily been terrible for us, he's been a good hitter, but he hasn't been a great hitter. Um, certainly not what 
he was hyped up to be coming out. I mean, he was probably the most hyped up prospect in MLB history since Bryce Harper. Like the, the hype train was out of control. And in all fairness, again, similar situation to Tatis. Flat Jr. is going to be 22 this year. But seeing, yeah, seeing the strides he took, 42 pounds is a lot of weight. Like, that is crazy. And I don't know that that's going to make him – I don't necessarily know that it's going to make him some sort of speedster. Um, I still think he probably is not a third baseman. Um, I do think he is a first baseman long term. Um but yeah, if he is showing the level of commitment to his personal fitness um, that he re- that he just straight up has not shown so far, like not to not 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 to disrespect him, but he he previously he has not necessarily shown that he not that he doesn't want to be here, but you can kind of tell that he was coasting a bit. But he is very clearly kind of taking things into his own hands. Um, I think he could be in for a huge, huge season. Like, I think because he's underwhelmed relative to expectations, people have kind of moved on. Baseball fans are absolute, and maybe sports fans in general, but especially baseball fans are so, so guilty of getting excited about the next big thing. And when the next big thing isn't immediately the next big thing, just completely writing them off. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked by Vlad Jr. this year. Um, and then the really cool thing is because the Jays are going to be as good as they are, at least in my opinion, um, we're going to get to see a lot of Vlad Jr. Uh, I think, I think the Jays are very possibly a World Series contender. They do need, they do need some more pitching. Um, you can absolutely grab that deadline, like, it would not be crazy to see Vlad Jr. on the biggest stage this year, and I am super duper excited. Um, but yeah, overall, I think I think that was a that was a nice little Vlad Jr. pick for sure. Uh, I should not have let him far as fall as he bleh, fall as far as he did. Uh, definitely consider taking him very close to where you did. Um, but yeah, I am super excited about Vlad Jr. Was there was there anything else, like any other major steps that he needed to take from last season to this season to become a better player outside of his conditioning to really, really put him in that upper echelon of batters? Honestly, not really. The the pieces are absolutely there. The the talent, totally there. The the amazing eye that he showed in the in the minors and was kind of his calling card has overall translated pretty well um, to the majors. He he hasn't walked as much as he did in the minors, and he struck out a little bit more, but those are still really reasonable rates. It, in, this, in this era of baseball, the amount he's striking out is, is very good, especially for someone who's 21. I think seeing some... I think seeing some steps forward in the the play discipline and taking walks more could benefit him a lot. But I also think that a lot of the reason he did get as many free passes as he did in the minors is because he was this dude was Godzilla next to the dudes he was playing with in the in the minor leagues. So I think once now that I think he is, and I'm on a Jason. I think he is now ready to really take that step forward 
and be the guy we thought he was going to be. And I think with that, the walks are going to come when guys see, oh, we cannot, we absolutely cannot mess around with Vlad Jr. anymore. Like, this dude is a monster. Um, the defense, the, the other thing is defense, um, which I think losing the weight will help a lot with. Um, like I said previously, I don't think he's moving back to third base anytime soon. I just don't think he has the chops for it. But I think he could be a average to solid defender at first base if he, if alongside the conditioning that we've seen, he is also uh, kind of putting some work and getting better there. Yeah, I, I do believe the older that he gets and the more pitches he sees, just naturally his play discipline is going to get better. He's just going to understand the game at a lot higher level as every season progresses. And especially if the Blue Jays do make some sort of run in the playoffs, he's going to be on the biggest stage. And when he's in the regular season, it's not going to like, it's, there's not going to be as much pressure, you know? So one thing I want to get into is. Shohei Otani hit 100 miles per hour in batting practice. He is returning from Tommy John surgery, which is one of the worst surgeries in baseball, if not the worst. Do you think that we are going to get the Shohei Otani everybody thought that we were going to get a couple years ago and him being one of the best hybrid players in baseball? The league should be very, very scared. The only, the only real full season we've seen of Shohei being Shohei is that 2018 rookie season where he was fantastic. 151 OPS plus his rookie year at the plate. That's Fernando Tatis offensive production. As a pitcher, 3.31 ERA, 11, 11 Ks per nine, one of the best marks among starters. When he, the one time we have seen this guy completely healthy and able to, to shoulder as close to a full time load as a hitter and pitcher as he is going to get, he was incredible. And again, he is only going to get better. He's a young, young dude. He is just now turning 26. Um, he is just so good. I don't think, I do not think that. We're going to see 100 miles per hour from him in the regular season. But the big thing with this is he is healthy enough as a pitcher to to be throwing that kind of gasoline. Like, even if he's not doing it consistently, his fastball is absolutely back, maybe better than ever. He's finally fully healthy. 2020 was really a lost season for him at both the plate and pitch, I mean, he threw an inning and two-thirds. Like, it's he basically didn't pitch. It's been almost two full years since he's pitched now. Um, so I would say that I think I think temporary expectations would be fair. Um, but he has shown us previously that he is just so, so good. He's bulked up more. Um, yeah, bulked up more, put more muscle on that frame. Um, and if we were to get a, f- if, if Otani stays healthy for a full season, I think realistically we can expect d- about a hundred to 125 innings. Um, the angels are going to be going with that six man rotation. So he will be pitching about every, about every, uh, s- seven to eight days. Um, DHing probably half of the, day- the days he's off. Um, 
So that puts him at like, let's say 400, five, not, I don't think he gets to 500, 400 plate appearances, maybe 400 and change. Um, and a hundred, hundred, 120 innings pitched. If, if Otani can do what he did, if he can just, if he can just replicate 2018, not even take any, make any more gains, if he just replicates that over a larger workload, I think you could make a case for him to be an MVP candidate, even though he's not necessarily putting up the numbers as a hitter that you would expect you would want from an MVP candidate or putting up the numbers for a pitcher that you would want from a Cy Young candidate or MVP candidate, but realistically pitchers don't win MVP anymore. Um, I, but I think the combination of both is so, so special. And the versatility that he adds to the Angels lineup and just the Angels roster in general, I think is one of those things, one of those rare things that analytics can't measure necessarily. Actually, I mean, they can to a certain capacity, but I think even though at the end of the day, his numbers won't stack up necessarily against the other guys who are MVP candidates. Assuming he does put up that kind of season, that's probably about a five-win season. Next to guy, most guys win MVP are kind of in that seven to eight range. Um, and I, I'm not even saying I think Shohei Otani should win an MVP if he were to put up that kind of season. But I don't think it's crazy to think coming back from Tommy John, like coming back from all these other injuries he's dealt with, like if he were to come back and be that guy again. I definitely think voters will reward him. I think he will be instrumental to the Angels, hopefully finally getting over that hump and getting getting Mike Trout back into the playoffs. Um, God, please get this man into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think Otani is in for a big season. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. The, the league should be very scared. Shohei Otani is amazing, and I think some people have forgotten that. So one... Other big thing that could potentially help the Angels finally get over the hump and really, really kind of validate everything Mike Trout's done for them. Jake Odriozzi is probably the most sought-after free agent that's that's left. Uh, currently, there's been rumors that the Phillies and Angels are both in on him. So I want to ask you, if the Angels do get him, what kind of potential does that give the Angels for this season? And... Do you think he's going to go to one of those teams? If not, who do you think is another contender for him? I I think the Angels make so much sense that it probably won't happen because they're the Angels. Um, but Jake, yeah, Jake Odorizzi would be such a perfect pickup for the Angels. Um, they they need pitching in the worst way. They have shown no willingness to actually acquire good pitching. Um, but if they were to get him, that would be just such a boon to that to that roster that just struggles so much there. A lot of their guys, the Angels have some young talent. The problem is a lot of it is just unproven. Um, a lot of it is is very injured. Um, the The Angels, yeah, the Angels need to make an addition if I were to consider them a playoff team for 2020. They need a guy to add that starting rotation. I think Odorizzi can be that guy. Um, however, I just don't know that they will be willing to spend. Well, I don't think, I don't necessarily think he's going to be expensive. 
he will be he will cost more than the Angels have shown a willingness to spend on pitching, which concerns me. Um, the Phillies would make a lot of sense. Uh, I think the Mets also, even though the Mets have made a lot of additions to their pitching this year, this year uh, Jordan Yamamoto, a big one. They brought Marcus Stroman back. Um, I think adding a really reliable, he would probably be their fourth or fifth starter. Um, I think adding that reliability in Odorizzi would be really good for them. They can certainly afford it. Um, a lot of fans have kind of bemoaned the fact that the Mets have not been as big of spenders as a lot of people hoped. Um, they missed out on Trevor Bauer. They missed out on George Springer. Like, a lot of people are understandably frustrated. And while I don't think that, I don't think Steve Cohen is just going to decide, oh, well, the, you know, the fans are unhappy, so I better go get Odorizzi. Because let's be real, he doesn't care what we think. He'll try to tell you differently on Twitter. Steve Cohen doesn't care. But I think if I were to pick a team that Odorizzi ends up on for opening day, I think it's probably the Mets. Um, yeah, and it's, I would love to see it be the Angels because I, even as a Mariners fan, I, I want to see the Angels be good for Mike Trout. Mike Trout is such a dope dude, and the Angels have just spit in his face. So I really want to see. I don't care. The, the Mariners aren't going to be good this year. We're not playing for anything. I don't care if the Angels kick our faces in. Every single time we play them, win 100 games, like, I, I wouldn't care if I get to see Mike Trout finally get to show what he can do in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Artie Marino is going to be willing to make that kind of commitment because he's given us zero reason to believe that he will. He, he has earned no goodwill with baseball fans at all. And, yeah. It would be. It would just be so out of character that I just can't see it happening. Do you? Uh, I can't think about a team you touched on earlier. You said they need pitching. Do you think there's any shot he goes to the Blue Jays? Um, I could certainly see it. Uh, the Blue Jays have spent a lot, um, but they. Yeah, honestly, that's a that's a fit I could see. Um, one of the problems with Odorizzi specifically is that he's not a guy who will be able to, or if, rather, if you want him to be effective, you will not be able to put miles on that arm, really. One of the reasons he was able to, kind of recently with the Twins, kind of break out, so to speak, um, is that the Twins were very religious about only letting him go through the lineup twice um, and really, really limiting how much he was out there. And he was, he was great. Like, in that limited use, he can be very, very good. I just I don't know that the, the Blue Jays necessarily have the bullpen to sustain having Odorizzi um, take the mound every, every five games. Um, but it, it wouldn't shock me necessarily. That actually would be a, a pretty decent fit for a, t- a team that just so desperately needs pitching. Tanner Roark is their fourth starter right now, I think. Like, when when your fourth and fifth starters in your rotation are arguably not major league talents, yeah, you have, you have an issue. And I think Odorizzi would help him fix that. Um, 
But I think in the end, I think the Mets would probably outbid the Blue Jays at this point um, if it were to come down to those two teams. And that's the news. All right, so on the final segment of the Juicy Joe Show with Nate Watt, we're going to do our top 25 free agent predictions. We're going to go from 25 to 1. The list is provided by National Mock Draft, so it is not our personal list, although I really, really do like the list. That's why I chose it. The first free agent we are going to predict is Corey Davis, previously played for the Titans, had kind of an inconsistent season, but he had some insane games also. I personally think that he's going to end up with the Washington football team on a four-year, $42 million contract. I think it's a good fit for them. I don't see him returning to the Titans because A.J. Brown is incredible and they're going to have to pay him. Um, I think he'd be a good fit for the Washington football team. I obviously don't know who's going to play quarterback for them next year. I think it's going to be Taylor Heineke, though. If I had to guess, I actually really like Taylor Heineke personally. Um, but yeah, that's where I see Corey Davis going. Yeah, the, I think the story with Davis is just the expectations on him were so high. The Titans took him, what, five? Something absurd like that. I think it, I want to say it was fifth overall. Um, and he finally, he, he chose a very good year, to be fair to finally have kind of that breakout-ish season. 2018, he was solid, put up almost 900 yards. Um, looked a lot better this year than he really previously had. Um, as for where he lands, it's kind of tough to say with wide receivers because there's just so many teams this offseason that need receivers and also so many really good receivers to kind of fill that gap. Um, I do think the Washington football team does make a lot of sense. Um the Ravens, may, maybe, uh, maybe not as much. Um, I think they are looking. I think the Ravens are going to try to get sort of a, a bigger fish than Corey Davis, to be honest. Um, I don't think that Davis moves the needle much next to Marquise Brown. Um, I, think that, I think the Ravens really want like a, a number one guy, and I don't think Corey Davis is that guy. I can see the Colts, maybe, um, if they don't land a bigger name. The Colts already do have some really solid young talent at wide receiver, um, that could absolutely take a big step. So I could see them, um, I could really see them going cheaper at wide receiver because they, they do need to add someone, I think, um, or bring back T.Y. Hilton. Um, but if they want to go cheaper, I could see them going Davis uh, and then spending the ridiculous amount of cap they have elsewhere. Uh, just want to touch on this real just because you mentioned T.Y. Hilton. I just want to say you heard it here first. T.Y. Hilton will be a Buccaneer next season. Um, Richard Sherman is the 24th ranked free agent. He's obviously much better than the 24th ranked. It's just all age at this point. Sherman, I believe, has come out and said he's got three years left. That's why I gave him a three-year deal. To me, the biggest fit is the Jets because of Robert Sala. That was just his former coach. Everybody respects Robert Sala, and Sala knows that you can bring in Sherman, and Sherman can set a culture for everybody else. Sherm's a teacher. As much as a great player, he is willing to teach everybody else, and he sees it as his job to try to make everybody else better. So I think when you're trying to rebuild a team that just has not been impressive for a really, really long time, bringing a guy like Sherman in on a three-year, $36 million deal is kind of a way to jumpstart things. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And I want to preface this by saying that as a Seahawks fan, it pains me so much that we did Sherm dirty. Like seeing it, seeing him playing on any other team just hurts so much. God, I love Richard Sherman. I think the Jets, yeah, just makes so much sense with Salah there. Um, 
I, and I think as Sherm kind of get, because Sherm is definitely getting along there in age. Uh, if, if he were to sign kind of a three-year deal, he'd, he'd be 35 by the end of it. Um, and I think, I don't think it's super controversial to say that Sherman is bound for safety. Um, and I think the Jets do have sort of a, sort of a potential gap um, at safety if they do decide to move on from Marcus May. Um, I don't think they will. I do think that Sherman will, if Sherman goes to the Jets, which I could very much see, I think he will be kind of that hybrid, almost like Kareem Jackson kind of um, usage. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Jets make, make a lot of sense. Ironically, the next player on our list is Marcus May. <laughs> Coming at that. 23. I don't see any reason that the Jets would not re-sign him unless he just really is just requesting an absurd deal. I currently have him signing a four-year, $55 million deal. Puts him at about $13.5 million a year range. I was trying to look up projections for these players and then kind of maybe try to put my own spin on things. The Jets have a lot of cap space. He's a young player. I think Marcus May knows his value. The only problem for him is that the safety play in the NFL right now is at an all-time high. Safeties aren't very sought out. But the way Marcus May played last year, I don't think the Jets are going to let him go. I think they have the cap space to give him that contract. Like you said, though, Sherm probably is destined for safety. He's mentioned safety a lot of times. He's slowing down clearly. Maybe the Jets decide they're not going to sign Marcus Maybach and they're going to let Sherman kind of be that hybrid Kareem Jackson type player. That would be very interesting, but I do see him landing back in the Jets. Yeah. Part of me thinks that after after the heartbreak of losing Jamal Adams, uh, the Jets will probably try not to, well, at least make a strong effort to bring May back. Because I do think Jets fans like Marcus May a lot. He looked really good last year. Um, replace Replacing Jamal Adams is obviously an impossible task, but Marcus, did, Marcus May did about as well as you could expect anybody to. Um, so I do think the Jets bringing him back make a lot of sense. I think the Eagles, the only other team that I like and feel more strongly about than any other team would be the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles did just bring in uh, the Jets' former safety or the Jets' previous safety coach, Denard Wilson, who has plenty of experience working with Marcus. So if May this if the Jets were to decide that uh, they kind of been priced out on May, um, and the, the the Eagles absolutely need help on that defense, um, Marcus May would be so huge for them uh, that I think Philadelphia would be a solid fit. But out, but it would be sort of a stretch. Not not yeah, it'd be kind of a stretch. I think the Jets probably end up bringing them back. Yeah, and so okay, the next one we have is Taylor Moton. Tackle for the Panthers. So, <laughs> I actually feel bad because going into doing this list, I actually had no idea who that was. I'm not even going to lie. And I think right now, every move the Panthers are making, they have the big picture in mind of Deshaun Watson. I do not think Deshaun Watson is going to play another staff for the Texans. I truly believe that he is willing to sit out. I think I almost think he might be willing to retire to never play for the Texans again. He is going to play hardball. I don't think he's ever going to play another staff for him again. And the only team I really, really see being able to give the offer that they need, especially I think McCaffrey will be packaged in that deal, is the Panthers. And I think it's a good look 
for Deshaun if they bring in their top offensive line from last season, get them on a five-year, $70 million deal. That is very, very good value for a top tackle in the league right now. A free agent we're going to talk about that's in the top five right now is going to get paid a lot more than that. So you lock him up long term, bring Deshaun Watson on the team. I really think that's a very good fit. Yeah, you kind of said it. Um, I do. Yeah, I absolutely see the Panthers bringing him back. And I think worst case scenario, even if they don't work out an extension now, he is eligible to be franchise tagged. I would be very surprised if if the if the the Cardinals if Carolina did not at the very least franchise tag him. Like if they, yeah, there there's I. I will say there is a zero chance that Carolina does not franchise tag him if they don't agree to an extension by by the points that they need to uh, to get Watson. 100%. So, on to William Jackson. So, I was looking at some of the projected contracts, and he is, he is projected to make a pretty good amount of money compared to the person that is, uh, that's above him on this list. Um I have a four-year, $52 million deal on him returning to the Bengals. You know, you got Joe Burrow. He's going to be returning. You got an up-and-coming team. I don't see any reason you want to let a really, really good corner go. Maybe, for whatever reason, Marcus Smith's situation, they get priced out. Decide it's just better for the organization move on. I don't see any reason they don't bring him back personally. Yeah. The the Bengals did show last year that they were willing to, uh, to throw around a little cash. Um, and I think the only real obstacle to them bringing him back would be if they decide they want to throw that cash around on the offensive side to protect Joe Burrow. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, $52 million on over four years is a lot of money. And while he's probably worth at his best, when we've seen him in 2017, 2017 and 2020, William Jackson is absolutely worth $13 million a year. The problem is that 2018 and 2019, William Jackson is not worth $13 million a year. So I almost wonder, I, wonder, I kind of wonder where the Bengals sit on him, whether they think, I, I do think that the 17 to 20 version of him is the real version. I think he's a very good corner. Um, but I wonder if the Bengals decide to let another franchise kind of take that swing on a guy who has shown some inconsistency, even though they really need that defensive help. Um, we're going to talk about plenty of defensive free agents who I think the Bengals will be in on because they need to be. Um, I, I think overall, I do think he returns to the Bengals. I think they just they need – they need him at the end of the day, even if they have to overpay him a little bit to bring him back. I, I think it would be a bad look at this point to let maybe your best defensive player maybe go right now on for a team that is theoretically that is trending upwards. Theoretically, um, I just don't think they'd let that happen. Yeah, I really don't think so either. The next person on our list is somebody that, when I was checking his value on the market, projected value, it was kind of absurdly low. The projected contract is four years, $28 million, and it's for Desmond King. Signed a one-year deal with the Chargers last year, and I believe he's going to move on from them. And I think his, I think the Cow, I think the Cowboys are going to end up signing him. They don't have a lot of cap space right now to work with. They're going to have to sign Dak. A lot of their money is going to be gone. 
but they, they need to shore up that defense a little bit. And I think Desmond King is the guy that can at least try to fill that void left by Byron Jones. Cause obviously he's not, there's not very many players in the league that are Byron Jones, but you, you have to at least try to fill that void because it was very, very noticeable that the Cowboys just in coverage last year were not where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a bit, maybe a part of why the projections are so long in is he was pretty bad last year after being acquired by the Titans at the deadline. He, was not in any capacity what the Titans needed him to be. Um, so that maybe is kind of baked into that price. I think the Cowboys is a really strong, especially if his value is kind of depressed like it's projected to be. I think the Cowboys would be an absolutely perfect fit. I mean, they've needed help at cornerback for... I, I don't have enough fingers to like to count. It's I feel like every single year since I started watching football, the narrative is that the Cowboys need defensive backs and they just never have them for some reason. Um, but yeah, other than them, uh, I think the Lions would be would would definitely be in play. Um, I think they do want a, a a number one corner to have across or or a number two starter depending or a number two corner depending on how you feel about Jeff Okuda. Um, just a guy to have across from him and a veteran guy who can really coach him up. Okada definitely struggled a little bit last season, but as the season went on, you could definitely see him improving, which is really cool. I think he's going to be very, very good. But if the Lions want that defense to to play to its... The, the, there's talent there, not at linebacker, but there's talent in in Detroit. That defense can be solid if you with another piece or two. Um, and some solid drafting, which we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I could see them really trying to get that number two corner. Um, and I think Desmond King would definitely fit that bill as arguably the best in this class. Um, if, yeah, I think either Jackson or, I think the Lions will definitely try to bring in a top corner. And I would w- be willing to put in some money that they end up with one of King or Jackson. All right, so on to the 17th person on our list, we have Nate's second cousin, J.J. Watt, a dear family member of Nate. True story. (laughs) Um, I have him going to the Packers. I think a lot of people are saying Packers-Bills. I mean, the Steelers are another one, but that's obviously, like, it's like the brother relationship, but the Steelers don't have captain to bring him in unless they really, really made some big moves. Packers... Don't really make a lot of splashes in free agency, but J.J. Watt just seems like the kind of person that the Packers, like Charles Woodson style, would be like, all right, we get J.J. Watt. That puts us up another level. J.J. Watt went to Wisconsin. The fit seems to make a lot of sense. I have him going there on a four-year, $60 million deal. I think the Packers really try to get it done. I think Aaron Rodgers pushes for this. I don't think they're going to let Aaron Rodgers go. I think, yeah, I think four-year, $60 million deal. Maybe it's a three-year deal. I could. That's really the difference. But I see fifteen million dollars a year probably being the going rate for JJ Watt. Yeah, with Watt, I see one of two things happening. I th- I don't think he's going to go to the Steelers. It would be super cool to see the three see the three Watt brothers together. I just don't see it happening. Um, I could see him going to either Green Bay because all the families in Wisconsin went to Wisconsin. He's got ties or possibly ending up in Tampa Bay 
where if he just decides, you know what, screw it, like, I don't want to deal with those Wisconsin winners, like, want want to play for a Super Bowl contender, want to play some nice Florida weather, the, the Buccaneers do have a lot of guys departing on that defense. They also have a lot of guys that they need to bring back. We're going to, I mean, we're going to talk about plenty of Buccaneers for humans <laughs> here. So I don't know that if the price tag for J.J. Watt is at that kind of 15 mil a year spot, I don't know that the Buccaneers would be able to swing that. But if he's willing to take take less money to go to very nice place in Tampa, plus finally get that opportunity to win that Super Bowl, he so, so deserves after years of, the, of dysfunction in Houston. Like... It's not even funny by how much. Or, it's kind of t- the, the the problem with JJ, I guess, is that like what now that they have Deshaun, they've had Deshaun Watson. JJ's just been hurt a lot. Um, but you look at Tom Brady compared to basically any quarterback JJ Watt has ever played with. I mean, forty three year old Tom Brady compared to any quarterback JJ Watt has ever played with. I could I could see that being pretty appealing to him. But then again, I guess Green Bay does sort of have that edge too. Um, so I would I would lean Packers, uh, but I think Tampa Bay could definitely be in play. Um, so like on the next one, this one this one to me is kind of I guess I would say obvious on where we're gonna go is like number sixteen Bud Dupree, and I don't see why or how the Steelers would let him go. Maybe they will, but that Steelers defense is really 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 good, and having Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt on opposite sides of the ball. I mean, you're, you're going to be able to keep that type of defense for a really, really long time. And then you got Mika Fitzpatrick holding it down in the secondary. I don't think they let him go. I think he ends up signing about a five-year, $83 million deal. So just, just slightly under $17 million annually. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason he doesn't go back to the Steelers. I didn't even write another team. Yeah, the Steelers, him ending up back in the Steelers would make a lot of sense. And if I were a betting man, which I absolutely am, borderline a problem. Um, I would put the money on the Steelers, but I do want to throw out the Colts as a team that could really, I think could really make a push. Colts have a lot of cap room. Justin Houston was good, but he he's not Justin Houston anymore. And I think Bud, Bud Dupree can absolutely be that elite pass rusher that they wanted Justin Houston to be. Um, but it, I don't know that the Steelers are going to let him. I think the Steelers will be able to kind of match whatever the whatever the Colts want to throw out there. There's a lot of edge rushing options, um, and the Colts could opt to not want to throw that kind of money at a guy who is coming off a torn ACL, who has really broken out in recent years prior to that. He, he doesn't have the longest track record. Um, so I could maybe see the Colts being priced out. Uh, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what happens with him at free agency because he absolutely has the talent and has shown enough to get that kind of big contract. But it also wouldn't shock me if he were to end up somewhere on kind of like a one year show me deal, just coming off of that injury. So I'm, re- I'm really interested to see where that goes. But yeah, I would say Steelers would be like 70, 70, 30 Steelers Colts for me. So the next one on our list is Hunter Henry. I was not confident in this one even a little bit. <laughs> I just had him going back to the Chargers on a four-year, forty-eight million dollar deal. But to me, I, I I really don't know what to do with Hunter Henry. 
it's like 12 million, I would say. I, I feel like it's pretty fair, even though he's been kind of injury riddled for a lot of his career. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think when you have a young quarterback in Justin Herbert, having a really reliable tight end just makes a lot of sense. Just kind of like the security blanket type deal, especially with AFC West. You got Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller. You can kind of want to want, going to want to match that firepower. I see Hunter Henry back with the Chargers, but like I said, I, I am not confident in that at all. I just don't know any other teams that like want him. Yeah, um, the all, really the only other team that kind of pops to mind outside the Chargers is the Jaguars, who have money coming out the butt. They're going to need weapons for Trevor Lawrence, um, so I could maybe see them going out and grabbing, trying to kind of trying to do with Henry. What they, I mean, I guess, I guess they kind of knew Tyler Eifert was going to be a kind of short term thing. I don't think they never necessarily saw him as a long term solution. Um, but going out again and trying to get a more premium tight end, uh, and I could see him working out for them. I don't think he's going to be prohibitively expensive, especially compared, especially relative to how good he is. Like, he is a, he's a really solid tight end. He's certainly not, he, He's definitely in the probably third tier. Like, there's the guy. He's not an elite guy to me, but he's probably among the guys who are not elite. He's pro- probably one of the. He's one of the best, maybe the best. Like, he's a top ten tight end, um, not top five, but f- firmly top ten for me. So, but yeah, it's. There, there's been kind of some injury concerns. I, I, you kind of hit it on the head. I don't know what's going to happen with Hunter Henry this year. The, him going back to the Chargers would make a lot of sense um, it, because it doesn't make sense to kind of start pulling things down around a young quarterback, especially who did the kind of things Justin Herbert did. Um, yeah, I did, he could end up on a lot of different teams, and I'd be like, oh, all right, that sort of made the Cardinals. Cardinals need a tight end. More weapons for Kyler Murray. I wouldn't be surprised to see him see him on the Cardinals. I don't know that they have the best cap situation this year, but again, I don't think it'll be super expensive. Um, but if I had to pick one, I'd, yeah, I'll, I'll just say six with the Chargers. Yeah, the the problem right now, and the reason I feel like the Chargers are kind of just kind of have to keep him, is the tight end play in the NFL right now is abysmal. There is just not very many good tight ends. And a lot of people are like, they look at Kelsey and they see Kittle and they're like, I want that. I want that. And Henry gives you a great value version <laughs> of that. So I think they're going to end up keeping him just because they kind of have to. Mm-hmm. So the next person on our list is Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams is obviously famous for one of the worst angles in NFL history. Don't want to track too much for it. Um yeah, I have him returning to the Saints. Three years, forty-five million dollar deal. Um, he's too good for the Saints to let him walk. And the the defense was really good last year. I think they're going to get Jameis Winston on a pretty good deal next year as the quarterback. I don't see any reason the Saints don't bring him back. Yeah, it is super unfortunate that when I saw his name on the list, like preparing for this podcast, I was like, oh, it's the, it's the Minneapolis miracle guy. Oh. <laughs> But he, yeah, he has been really solid. Um, I am going to, I'm going to say he ends up in Las Vegas. Um, their cap situation is a little not great. Granted, a lot of teams aren't. Um, 
despite, I think they're in the red right now, but they're like, I still think they're in the top 20 in cast base, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, Eric Harris is good. He's not great. Marcus Williams is definitely an improvement over Eric Harris. Um, having Marcus Williams kind of roaming, roaming, roaming in the back. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan Abrams is certainly best suited for playing up in the box. Um, so having a guy in a, yeah, I'll, I'll say I, I'll say he's an, an elite kind of back guy 100%. with with Abram up front laying down the boom. Like I think that could be really really nice and really be that next step that Vegas needs to be a legit contender, especially if they were to land Russell Wilson, which I guess would uh, they'd kind of mess up the cap situation a bit. <laughs> uh, so maybe not, but they, they they need to. They're kind of stuck right now in like seven and nine to nine and seven hell. And I think a, a guy like Marcus Williams would be kind of sort of an underrated move that would get them closer to being kind of a legit contender. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that anybody is just like packing it up and really trying to get to Vegas right now. Fair. I mean, I don't know. I don't think anybody's been super impressed by what Gruden's done. I mean, they've improved every year, but he's been there. What now? Four years. Has it been four years yeah, already? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's just it's been it's just been eh, you know, like no, like nothing really too crazy has happened. Like I yeah, no, it's already been four years of a ten year deal, and it's just I don't know, nothing's nothing's been that impressive. It's just basically been mediocrity, which has essentially been what John Gruden's been his whole career outside of one season. He took Tony Gen, he took Tony Dungy's team and won a Super Bowl. And besides that, it's been eight and eight. That's it, and that's what he's been with the Raiders, just average. Um, yeah, I, I could see maybe Marcus Williams doing that, but I, I don't know. If they're going to offer him the same price, I do not know why he would choose the Raiders over the Saints. So on to the next one, we have Levante David. This one, to me, is a, is cemented. He will return to the Buccaneers. He has got a, he's probably the emotional leader of that defense. Great human being, great player instrumental in them being able to win a Super Bowl. Levante David will be a Buccaneer next year. I I, I have no doubts. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Seeing him in any uniform besides a Buccaneers will just kind of feel wrong. It He's been so good. Came in the same year as Luke Keekley. Played nine seasons in the NFL now. Eight of those, 115 tackles or more. Again, eight of those... Double digits tackles for loss. He is so good. He is still so good. Even at 30, 31. Like he, there's no reason the Buccaneers should not bring this guy back. He is incredible. He, I mean, he's a, he's a Buccaneers franchise icon. Like how many, how many guys in Buccaneers franchise history have played for them as long as Levante David has? Like it's, yeah, he definitely should be. For the sake of conversation, one name I would throw out as maybe a team could go out and get him is the Browns. B.J. Goodson is a free agent this year. The Browns have shown that they really they want to be a team that can go to the playoffs every year. Whether they are that team is debatable. Levante David would be a huge step from them for them to get there. However. They're working against Levante David, having already spent nine years in that organization, coming off of a Super Bowl win. Like they would have to, re- they would really have to put all their chips on the table to pull him away from Tampa Bay. I feel. Yeah, I, I have him signing a three-year, thirty-nine million dollar deal. 
I think that he's going to take a little less money than he could get somewhere else to stay with the Buccaneers after he won the Super Bowl. I don't see, and especially what the what it's been like being with that organization his whole career. I don't see him in any rush to get out of that situation. I think he'll take like a slightly team friendly deal to get another person. We're going to talk about a deal also. So number twelve on our list, Will Fuller. This one was probably my boldest prediction, although I will make another bold, kind of a bold prediction later on. I will fuller going to the Colts on a four-year, $60 million deal. I don't know how his market value is $15 million a year because he cannot stay healthy, but that was what I was reading. That's what he's expected to get paid. I mean, he, he can just break the game open. Uh, he is so talented, but the most games he's ever played in a season is 11. So you don't know you don't you don't know if you're getting out of Will Fuller and you don't even know if he's gonna be there. But I think you get Wentz. Wentz needs a deep target. That was why the Eagles went out and got Rager last year. Obviously he got hurt. Jackson got hurt. I think they're gonna go out and they're gonna get Will Fuller who might get hurt. <laughs> but yeah, I, I that's probably my boldest prediction is I think Will Fuller end up a Colt. Yeah, I do think that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially if they let TY walk. Um they will. You, you, you're confident they'll let T.Y. walk? He'll be a Buccaneer next year. 100%. All right. Um, fair enough. I could. That would be super freaking dope, actually. Um, so, here, do you, so, do you not have them bringing Gotham back? I mean, I guess we'll no. touch on that a little bit later. But mm-hmm. No, I don't. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Fuller's one of those kind of guys. I see him as sort of that, It's in similar territory to Hunter Henry, as kind of that, like, guy who's right below the elite tier he can be when he's on the field he's really really good since 2018 his 16 game pace is 74 catches for 1100 yards and eight touchdowns like that is really good production he is a insane deep threat but he just yeah the the health is not there um i don't know the the colts have feels like they've dealt a lot with guys who have not been able to stay on the field so I don't know that they will be like chomping at the bit to, to be like, oh, let's bring in this expensive guy who can't stay on the field. Um, but it would make a lot of sense. Again, there's just a lot of wide receiver needy teams. Uh, Washington, I think, could, could make a lot of sense having him as sort of a secondary guy to Terry McLaurin. Um, though both guys are definitely are definitely work best as deep threats. So probably one of them would end up being in a different kind of role. But um, yeah, I can see that. I can see the Bengals, um, if they want to go out and grab a guy to, to work along T. Higgins, um, who, God, I love T. Higgins. Just, they, they want to throw that on the record. T. Higgins is my boy. Mm. Um, yeah, the Ravens, maybe. Again, this one of those things where just kind of the fit isn't as great because he is more of a deep threat, which they already have in Marquise Brown, arguably. Uh, <laughs> Man, it's that, that the tangent. It's crazy how how much how much I've fallen on Marquise Brown since the draft. Like, I was I was so excited about Marquise Brown. I love that dude, Hollywood Brown, bro. But he, man, he has not shown what he has needed to show. I think I saw someone a while back. It's like, nah, he doesn't get to be Hollywood Brown anymore. He's Marquise until <laughs> further notice. And very fair. Um, yeah, Fuller could end up a lot of different places. Uh, I think it'll come down to which team is willing to bite the bullet and give him that big money. 
even though he probably won't be on the field all that much. He's missed almost two full seasons. Like, ugh. Right, yeah, I mean, it's been really rough. And I feel really bad for him. Obviously, we both hope that Will Fuller is able to play all 16 games next year because if he does, like you said, that pace, 70 catches, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. That's what you could expect in a, in a full season from Will Fuller. So I have a prediction that I think Nate is going to love. So for number 11, we have Joe Tooney, former guard of the Patriots. So I do not think the Seahawks are going to get rid of Russell Wilson, at least this season. I think it is in the best interest of Pete Carroll, who is 70 years old, to not try to rebuild. And you, there's not a lot of Russell Wilson rocking around, I think. I mean, as a 49ers fan, I think extremely highly of Russell Wilson. To me, he's one of the 10 best quarterbacks to ever play the game. I think extremely highly of him. And I think it would be extremely idiotic for the Seahawks to not find any possible way they can to retain him. And one step towards doing that to me is Joe Tooney ending up a Seahawk on a four-year, $60 million deal, figuring out a way to make it work, improve that offensive line marginally with that, with that signing. I think it's one way to make Russell Wilson happy because Pete Carroll, I do not believe, is trying to rebuild right now. Russell Wilson goes, Pete Carroll goes to me. Yeah, yeah. It's I would so love to see Joe Tooney end up on the Seahawks. That would make me so happy. It would literally be everything I've wanted from the Seahawks for years now. I just don't have the faith in them that they will be that they will actually go out and do that. I don't know what's up with this organization right now, but yeesh. It is it is not great. Um I would love to see Joe Tooney end up here. I think there is a maybe chance the Patriots end up bringing him back. Um, I think I remember seeing that if they were to tag him, he would tag him, maybe tag him again. Uh, I don't remember if they tagged him last year, but if they were to tag him, I think I saw he would be the highest paid guard in football. So I don't know that the Patriots of all teams are really going to do that. The Jets just make a lot of sense here for me. They need offensive line as much as anybody in the league. They want to, they want to they want to protect their new uh, whatever quarterback they end up drafting. Um, they want to not make the same mistake the Bengals have made. So I could see them really going out and splashing on on Tooney, and also just the satisfaction of pulling him away from a division rival. Super dope. Um, yeah, the Seahawks theoretically make sense, but every offensive line free agent has theoretically made sense for the Seahawks. And they have time, like time and time again, shown that they just they don't want to they don't want to do it. They'd rather they'd rather just pay literally anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I I, I also do not get it. I guess, I guess when you just have Russell Wilson and he can just make it work with the bottoms of line year after year, the front office is like, get as mad as you want. We're just gonna put people around you. Like, I guess. <laughs> Um, so we're going to get into the top 10 now. At number 10, we have Aaron Jones. This to me is one that I would also say you can just cement this one. I think he's going to go to the Bills on a $40, $56 million deal. Clearly the Bill. I, okay, maybe Zach Moss ends up being really good. Maybe Devin Singletary ends up being really good somehow. Nothing they've done in their careers have shown me that that's going to happen. I think, I mean, I mean you saw in the playoffs they clearly, they had no faith in the other running backs. The Bills had no chance to make the Super Bowl. They had no chance. You can't just drop back 
and do what the Steelers did against the Browns where Big Ben's throwing 60 passes. You can't just put the ball in Josh Allen's hands every single play. You have to try to open up the field for him with the run game. And Aaron Jones, to me, is the player that does that for them. And he's a great receiver out of the backfield. A nice little security blanket for Josh Allen. To me, this is one, just mark it off. He will be a bill to me. Yeah, I am absolutely higher on both Singletary and Moss than probably most people. I do think that both can be contributing NFL backs. Um, So, and I think Aaron Jones, I think my my number one projection would be staying with the Packers. I think the Packers are already kind of on thin ice with Aaron Rodgers as it is. I don't think it would be particularly great for their best interests to pull the rug out from under him and take away a very, very good running back. Um, I mean, this dude in 2019, 19 touchdowns in 2019. That's crazy. Like, rushed for 1,100 yards this year, proven that he can handle a big workload. Like, it would be what, – what, I'm, I'm curious. What do you think his career yards per carry is, if you just had to guess? If I had to guess, I would say 4.6. 5. 5.2. 5.2? The only season he's been under 5.5 yards per carry was 2019. When he had 19, when he had 19 touchdowns, <laughs> like he is so, so good and really does not, I feel like he doesn't get the credit. Maybe, maybe in fantasy, maybe, but I, I feel like I rarely hear Aaron Jones talked about as like one of the premier backs in the NFL. Dude is so good. And I, for that reason, I think another team that would make a lot of sense for is the Dolphins who have nothing at running back. God, they have nothing. It was painful to watch last year. The fact that these sentences, Patrick Laird is going to be our starting running back this week, should never come out of a team's mouth. And it's happened multiple times for the Dolphins. Like, Matt Breida, cool. I like the idea of Matt Breida. Matt Breida did not show that he could be that guy last year. I think that having... The, the Dolphins want, I think they want to build around Tua, or maybe they go out and grab Deshaun. Either way, they're going to want to build around some quarterback, and I don't think there's much there's a much better way to do that outside of improving Tua's protection, to be fair. But getting a guy, getting a guy you can give the rock to 200-plus times a year, I mean, throw at, you know, give 70, 80 targets, like, Aaron Jones would be huge, huge for that Dolphins offense. And another t- – a team I – don't, I don't want this to happen necessarily. But I think the Seahawks could be in play for him. Chris Carson is a free agent. The Seahawks have shown that they – or Pete Carroll has shown that he really likes to have a running back um, that, that he can rely on, just hand the rock to um, regardless of whether that running back is actually good enough to hand the rock to every play. Um, and I don't think Alex, Alex Collins is that guy. Um, we did just resign him. Carson is gone. I don't, maybe we bring him back. I would like to see him back because I think he's going to be a lot cheaper than Jones. And I think Chris Carson is a very good running back. Um, but the fact that we need offensive line 
makes me think that the Seahawks will go out and sign Aaron Jones because he's not the position we need most. Uh, it would be such a, such a Seahawks move just be like, hmm, let's see, we could we could do whatever it, what, what most other teams in the NFL do and just draft a dude in like the second or third round, just run him into the ground. Or we could spend a bunch of money on a guy we don't need. It, it, it feels like, it, I don't know, it seems like such a Seahawks move and that scares me. Um, but I, my prediction would probably be he ends up back in Green Bay. The problem with Green Bay is I think he priced himself out of Green Bay. He, he, he was too productive last year. Unless, for whatever reason, Aaron Jones is willing to sign a four-year, $40 million deal and take a four or $5 million cut annually, the Packers just can't afford him flat out. Especially, I mean, John, Jamal Williams is really good. And, oh, I'm blanking right now. Uh, A.J. Dillon. Oh, yeah, they're Yeah, and they have A.J. Dillon, too. So, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense for them to bring him back, although he's a great player. So, if they did, it's a, it's a good move. Um, um, and then now on to Brandon Sheriff. I think he's going to end up on the Washington football team on a three or $48 million deal. I don't see any reason they're letting one of the top guards in the NFL go. To me, I don't see any reason they wouldn't. You got if, when you're trying to build a football team, you want to go, you want to build your front seven, then you want to build your offensive line and kind of go out from there. Obviously, you need a quarterback, but yeah, Brandon Sharp's a good step, uh, good stone for that. Yeah, um, and I think uh, I think another factor kind of adding to that is that Washington is able to tag him. Um, so I think again, kind of similar to. Uh, Oh, God. I feel so bad. Taylor Maton. Um, like you were saying, I didn't even know who this dude was until, until doing research, which is awful. Um, so I, I do think Washington will probably bring him back one way or another. Um, outside of that, um, any of the teams that are in need of offensive linemen could make a lot of sense. The Seahawks would be are a good fit on paper for sure. The Bengals. um the Jets can probably afford to go out and get a much bigger, uh, get a bigger fish um, or a couple bigger fish than Brandon Scherf. But um, yeah, I think I think him ending back in Washington is probably pre- a pretty safe bet. All right, so on to the eighth. Um, another person I think is just going to end up with a team again. Uh, a lot of the top agents I think kind of end up back. Um, Shaq Barrett. Uh, he was a key player in the Buccaneers being able to win. A Super Bowl, and I don't see any reason they're letting him go unless for some reason they just cannot afford to keep him. It, it is a pretty steep deal, though. I think it's going to end up being like a five year, $105 million deal in that range, but I, I don't see any reason he's not a Buccaneer next year. Oh, yeah, he is going to get stupid money. Like, even, even beyond like just how good he was in general, he definitely had a down year from 2019 to 2020, which literally every player ever is going to have a down year coming off 19 and a half sacks. But in the play, dude had four sacks and 21 pressures in the playoffs. Like he was locked in. So I think you are right that the Buccaneers are going to do everything they can to bring him back. But he has also said that he is really trying to get that bag, which I mean, good on him. He kind of fizzled out in Denver. Like, was really sort of a reclamation project in, in Tampa and has turned into an incredible player. Super awesome for him. No, definitely do not blame him at all for going out, trying to get that payday. He got his ring, you know? Right. I think a team that can make a lot of sense purely because they need him 
and they have they have mess around money is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who if I'm who have the most cap space in the NFL. Do they do have a lot of, of pass rushing talents? Um, Josh Allen, obviously really good. Clement Chesson, um, also very good. Uh, but I could see them absolutely just saying, "We've we have all we have this insane amount of money. Let's add this strong veteran pass rusher who can really both kind of coach up a lot of their young kind of raw guy. A lot, a lot of the, a lot of their talent is on the rawer side. Um, I think you could definitely help elevate that defense a lot. Um, especially if he decides that, you know what, getting that, getting that big, big payday is more important to me than ending up on a team where he is going to be a Super Bowl contender. Um, I think it'll depend on where his priorities end up lying. Um, but if I had, if I had to make a prediction, I would probably say Tampa. All right. So, and then now we have Leonard Williams. He was almost kind of thought of as a bust when he was with the Jets. The Giants trade for him. One big thing with general managers are when they do really well and they make a good trade, they want to keep that player just to remind you, like, hey, this was my guy. Like, I'm the one that took a chance on him. So I think Dave Gettleman is going to keep Leonard Williams, although there's a part of me think, thinks that he's going to get tagged. But if they tag him, it's going to be a pretty steep price. But I think signing him to a long-term deal will be a lot better. But I think he's going to get tagged by the Giants again. I think he's going to be giant next year. Although my sleeper team is the Raiders. They need him really bad. I think he probably likes the warm weather a lot. He went to USC, and you could pick any college he wanted to go to, and he went to USC. The Raiders the Raiders is a good fit to me. I just don't think the Giants are going to let him go. Yeah, I funny enough, I actually had the exact same kind of note written down that Gettleman went out and traded multiple picks for him, franchise tagged him last year. Like They've made investments. The investment has now paid off tremendously. They're not going to let him get away. Um, he is going to make some big money. I, if they don't end up tagging him, which I do think they probably end up doing, I mean, he's probably looking at 20 mil a year, like Chris Jones kind of money, which that's a lot of money, but he is, he's really good. Um, I do think the Giants will absolutely make every effort they can to, to keep him around for sure. 100%. So the sixth three agent is Kenny Galladay. He started off a little bit slow last year, and then he was called him and he was Kenny Galladay for basically the last half of the season. Exactly what we expected him to be. Um, I think the Lions are going to be able to sign him to a long-term deal, though. I think uh, it's another person that gets tagged. I think it's going to be about a $16 million a year deal. Or the $16 million tag. Yeah, for, <laughs> for reference, my exact notes for Kenny Galladay here was Lions finna tag. So we're de- we're definitely on the same page here. <laughs> He's very very good. Um, I do think they keep him around. They're not going to try. They're not going to try and like reinvent the wheel at wide receiver now that they have Jared Goff. They are definitely going to try and make that look um, look pres- like if they Jared Goff is not good. He needs good weapons around him to look good. And if the Lions were to make this trade, trading away that a guy that the the Troy fans loved, Matt Stafford, super beloved, very good quarterback. If they were to then go from the, to trade him away and get a not good quarterback who then looks really bad because he has nothing around him, 
it would be a very bad look for the franchise. And I think that they will do anything they can to not let that happen. So I think I don't, I don't know that they are able to get a long-term deal done. And I'd see them being a team that will be very heavily investing in the receiver spot in probably in the draft, maybe even in the draft and especially next year. Um, but yeah, I think Kenny G absolutely ends up back in Detroit. All right. So now on to the top five free agents. At number five, we have Trent Williams. Trent Williams is my guy. I think it's probably going to end up being three years, $60 million, four year, $80 million. Some Some of them think $20 million annually. That is rough, though. $20 million a year. I mean, he's pretty old, but last year, I mean, he was so good. He was so good. He was everything we thought he was going to be. He got a year off two years ago. I think that helped him out a lot with his health. The connection to Kyle Shanahan, it just, it just makes complete sense we're going to bring him back. Offensive line was like the biggest issue we had last year. Mike McGlinchey on the opposite side is, I don't want to trash him, but, you know, definitely not an NFL player. Um, yeah, so uh, getting rid of Trent Williams would be terrible. I really, really hope they get rid of Jimmy because that's going to make that contract a lot less brutal to trying to get everybody else rid as far as I'm concerned, we're going to have Trent back, we're going to have Jimmy back, and we're going to run it back and probably go like 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven because we're not going to really build and it's going to be horrific. It's going to be awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> right, Trent Williams, going to the Niners. Yeah, I, I definitely see that happening. He has said he that he likes Darren in San Francisco. Um, and I think that them bringing him back would make a lot of sense, especially after they gave, like they did go out and grab him. Eight straight Pro Bowls, I learned, which is crazy. I mean, obviously not Kevin Leary took off, but eight straight Pro Bowls, wild. Um, I think the Chargers make way too much sense as a fit for him, and they would probably be who I am projecting to go out and grab him. Their current starting left tackle, Sam Tevy, is a free agent. They really need offensive line help, um, and they have their guy, Justin Herbert, who they really need to build around. Um, and I don't think there's, I don't know that there's a better way this year to to really start building around or not start building around, but build around your quarterback than adding Trent freaking Williams, dude. Yeah. I thought that would make a lot of sense. It, w- it would really, really hurt to see him go. Um, so number four, we have Justin Simmons. One of the best safeties in the league right now from the Broncos. I have him getting an absurd contract. Five years, 82.5. It's about 16 and a half million dollars a year. The Broncos are not letting him go. Vic Fangio, the defensive coach, is not letting him go. Justin Simmons will be a Bronco next year. Absolutely. Um, he is 100% going to reset the safety market. Like, yeah, Buda Baker, old news. Like, it, he's going to beat it by a lot. Um, Denver just makes way too much sense. I don't know that he will end up leaving. If he does, it'll probably be because one of Jacksonville or the Jets with just all those gobs of money they have decide to go even crazier on the, on his contract and the Broncos will hopefully be willing to. Um, but yeah, I, I think Simmons absolutely stays in Denver. All right. And then on the number three, we have Chris Godwin. I, I have Chris Godwin leaving. I don't think the, because the Buccaneers they already have to pay Levante David. They already have to pay Shaq Barrett. Chris Godwin was kind of unimpressed. Unimpressive would be an overstatement, but didn't exactly meet expectations. I think they're going to get T.Y. Hilton on a good deal. 
Chris Godwin to me is is gone. And they already have Mike Evans. They have Gronk. I, and they might bring Antonio Brown back next year because he likes to play with Brady. I don't think Godwin just. I don't think they. I don't think it's a need for them. So I have him going to the Bengals. I think the Bengals are going to try to make a big splash, and I think they're going to get Joe Burrow, a really really good receiver, and I think they're going to get him on a five year ninety million dollar deal. Yeah, I think I, I I still have Godwin ending back up in Tampa. He is another guy who is a franchise tag uh, candidate. Um, he has previously shown the capacity to be very, very elite. 1,300-plus yards in 14 games in 2019 is absolutely bonkers. He said previously he does want to stay in Tampa. I think he would be willing to take, take uh, a price cut relative to what he's worth to stay on stay on that championship team with Brady, with Evans. Like, that is just such a good situation for a receiver. Um, Brady has – there's been a lot of talk about the, the Buccaneers extending Brady um, and restructuring things to kind of give them more cap space. So I think they can make it work. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Again, he could end up any number of places. Um, previously mentioned the Ravens, Washington. Cincinnati would make a lot of sense. The Colts, like, there's so many teams that could go out and get him. Um, so if he, it's sort of a uh, another situation like with Shaq Barrett, where it kind of just depends on what the what the priority is decided to be, whether that's getting that bag, which he will. He he, if he decides to go out on the free market and get what he's worth, he's get that's going to be a lot of money. Um, so I think we'll have to wait and see. I would put my money on him ending back up in Tampa. All right, second free agent to me, maybe the most underrated player in the league, Allen Robinson. He has been, he's never had a good quarterback, and he's done nothing but produce. Um, if you think Shaq Barrett wants that bag, Allen Robinson wants that bag. He said that his requested contract is four years for $100 million. Allen Robinson, I got a lot of love for you, man. You are not getting $25 million a year at the receiver <laughs> position. <laughs> But I do think the Dolphins really, really, really needing a receiver. They're gonna they're gonna kind of try to meet him in the middle at a four-year, eighty-eight million dollar deal. I think Al Robinson ends up with the Dolphins. It's a big splash. It's a good target for probably Tua. Don't cement that, but probably gonna be Tua. And yeah, four-year, eighty-eight million dollar deal. I think it's a good fit for them. I think Al Robinson. The the Dolphins are definitely trending up just as an organization. Brian Flores is clearly. A great leader. I don't. I, I see the Dolphins only going up from here, and I think Allen Robinson wants to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Allen Robinson, my team that I think should go out and grab Allen Robinson but won't is the Packers. Um, he would be so so insane next to Devontae Adams, with Aaron Rodgers. I just don't think they're going to be willing to to make to make that happen. Um, the Colts and the Dolphins are the two teams I really pegged as my my top. My top spots for him, they just make so much sense. You don't go out and trade for Carson Wentz if you're not trying to, if you're really not trying to win now. Allen Robinson, after the after the amount of losing he has done and playing on just absolutely terrible teams, I think he really wants, I think he wants to be a winner. Um, and I think the Colts offer probably the best, in my opinion, landing spot for him just between between how good the team should be in 21, how much money they can offer, and kind of positional need if they if they let T.Y. go. Um, 
But the Dolphins, again, totally make a ton of sense. They can give them a lot of money. They need weapons. That nice warm weather. Um, I think another dark horse is maybe the Jaguars. I don't know that Allen Robinson is in a rush to go back to that organization, but it is a lot of new people. They're going to have Trevor Lawrence. They have a lot of money to throw at him. I think they are an outside chance um, if he does decide that uh, he's not going to hold the current, the uh, hold the same grudge against the current regime in Jacksonville. I don't see it. I don't really see it happening though. He's not going to end up back in Chicago. If he was, he would already be back in Chicago. I will. I'll say the Colts. The only way he ends up back in Chicago is if they actually get him four years on the million dollar deal. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like if he goes back to the Jaguars, he's going to be having like night terrors and Blake Portals every night. So I don't think he's going to do that to himself. Um, the number one free agent, undisputably the number one free agent. I assume me and Nate have the same thoughts on it. Uh, he's going to be back with the Cowboys. Jerry Jones is old, very old. And um, yeah, I mean, he, it's, Jerry Jones just has not been that great of an owner. I mean, he's been, he's been okay, great financially, don't get me wrong, but started off great. Couple Super Bowls, you know, everything's going good, everything's going great. And then it's just been pure mediocrity for the Cowboys ever since. No matter how much talent they stack up on that roster. Okay, I don't know what this this joke they're doing with Mike McCarthy is, but it should have been a Jim Tomsula <laughs> Chip Kelly situation where he coaches one year and it's like, oh, oh, maybe this dude is not going to be a good coach in 2021. Let's fire him and go get Eric Bieniemy or anybody anybody else for that matter, like anybody. They, they, they literally fired him, and then the next year, Matt, the, the Packers are in the NFC Championship twice in a row. Like it, it's just it's common sense to me, but. Jerry Jones doesn't do very good with common sense, um, but the, I think he will sign back. Basically, just under forty million dollars a year, four years, fifty one hundred fifty eight million dollars. Yeah, I would have loved to make a joke about that going somewhere else, but Jerry Jones is nothing if not loyal. Um, even if it takes him a little while to get to kind of get come around on it, he's Dak is will one hundred percent be in a Cowboys uniform again. Jerry Jones is not letting that go anywhere. Um, and in all fairness, I think Dak deserves it. Dak has been very, very good, especially given like given kind of what he what he's kind of dealt with. Last year, he had by far the best weapons of his career, and <sighs> put up like video game numbers is almost underselling it. Had he played out, like obviously, if if he hadn't broken his ankle, he wouldn't have stayed at the same pace. I'm not going to kid myself, but he would have continued at that same pace. But he was on like 6,000 yard pace. He would have crushed the single season record and he would have, he could have come close. He would have been very close. I don't remember the exact number he was on pace for, but it was just shy of 6,000. He was crazy. And a lot of that is how bad that Cowboys defense was. He had to be that good. Um, but I think he is firmly like there were definitely there's definitely been questions about whether he is an elite guy and the kind of guy you want to build a franchise around. And I think the last two years have shown me that yes, uh, he is absolutely the kind of guy I would be willing to build a franchise around. Um, and I think the Cowboys will do just that. Yeah, I personally had my questions and my doubts, and it only took a couple of games this season for me to just shut up. Just like I just shut up, like. Watch the tape. I, I saw what I needed to see. I'm, I'm done. I don't care about the wins or whatnot. That's not his fault. 
Um, yeah, so that wraps up the show. Thank you for everybody that stayed, like, tuned in this long, able to watch the whole show. Like, we really, really appreciate it. We know the NFL segment ended up going, like, an hour, so it was really, really long, but thanks for anybody that watched the whole thing. Nate, do you have any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you guys so much. Um, this has been, this is really cool. Uh, this is going to be, th- this episode, huge jump from the last one. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of see the response for this. Um, just love you guys. All right. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for watching. You guys all have a great night.